term. Uh, but, you know, good politics, good policy is good politics. And uh, moving Mississippi forward in a big way uh, is going to continue to require some big changes. And uh, it's good that we've got uh, people out there who are uh, who are thinking about that, one of whom uh, is here with us now. We've got uh, Douglas Carswell, who's the president of the Mississippi Center for, for Public Policy. Douglas, how are you doing? Good morning, Lucian. How are you? I'm doing well. Now, where are you? I, I hear those beautiful birds chirping I'm, there. I'm in, I'm in the free state of Texas, where they have uh, low taxes, no income tax, and lots of economic growth. There's a, there could be a model for us to follow that. I, I'm, I'm for it and appreciate, appreciate all the good work you all do there. I, I'm, I'm curious. I do want to talk about some of MCPP's focuses, um, but I'm, I'm curious to talk briefly. You're, you're, I know you didn't move from the United Kingdom to the U.S. to talk about British politics nonstop, but I'm, I'm, I suspect you're getting lots of questions about uh, what's happening about the, uh, the race to choose who's going to live at number 10. Yeah, I mean, I was a member of parliament for 12 years before I came here, and I, I know many of the, the players. I know Boris very well. I know Liz Truss very well. I know many of the players in the, the current uh, British um, political saga unfolding. I mean, it's very sad that Boris Johnson turned out, you know, he was elected to be the next Ronald Reagan, and he ended up governing like Nancy Pelosi. And, and I think there's probably a lesson for American conservatives there. If you're elected to be conservative, for goodness sake, be conservative, cut taxes and deregulate and don't do things that progressives would do. But um, I, I, looking at the competition at the moment, it's fascinating. It's a competition between Rishi Sunak, who is a, a second generation Briton of a Hindu background, versus uh, Liz Truss, who very much models herself on, on Margaret Thatcher. It's shaping up to be a, a, a fascinating contest. Um, I'm not sure who's going to win. Um, we'll know in about a month's time. But um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Is there an ideological difference between Sunak and Truss? I mean, is there is is there that there, or is this more sort of a, a build? Who can build the bigger coalition? I guess at this point we're we're down to conservative party members. It's no longer the the, the members of parliament who are making this choice. Exactly. It's in effect, it's a closed primary of, of Conservative Party members. There is an ideological difference. There is a difference between what you might call the, the Treasury orthodoxy. These are the kind of people who've been running the economy for the past uh, 20, 30 years. Rishi Sunak very much reflects that orthodoxy. He says you can't have tax cuts until you've got growth to pay for them. Liz Truss says that's nonsense. In order to get growth, you've got to cut tax. So it's actually, it's a long overdue debate in conservative circles on both sides of the Atlantic. Um, how, do you, how do you get the economy to grow? Liz Truss says radical deregulation and tax cuts. Now, in your previous piece, you were talking about how difficult it is sometimes to deregulate. We all know that the, uh, the, the benefits of regulation, um, if there are any, the, the gains, you, you, you might say, are very concentrated. And the costs of that regulation are very dispersed. That makes it politically very difficult to deregulate. But Liz Truss is showing that actually you, you have to do that if you want to grow, whether it's in Mississippi or in England. You, 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 need, to, you need to deregulate. That's interesting. So there is a, there is a real ideological divide. How, not to get too deep in the weeds on uh, the 1922 committee and all the sort of workings in, in Parliament, but... We're, we went through this initial stage where the members of the Conservative Party in Parliament you know, voted among the different candidates who were eligible to run. We've gotten it down to two. Who, who are the, the Conservative Party members who are actually making this choice now? Because as I appreciate it, it's, it's distinct from the way it would work in Mississippi where I could decide I'm a, I'm a member of this party today. I'm going to come in and vote. It's, 
can you can you walk us through a little bit the, the function there? To be eligible to vote, you've got to be a paid-up member of the party for um, at least three months. So that means basically you've had to pay, I think, about $20 and formally said you're a member of the party. That gives you the right to, to, to then vote in this, this contest. There are probably no more than about 200,000 party members in the whole country. So, you know, you're talking about a very small percentage of the population, in effect, choosing the next prime minister. Um, it's it's um, it's not a, a, a necessarily a very logical way of doing it. Whoever becomes prime minister is going to, in effect, be on 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 probation until until they win a mandate in a in a general election. But given the parliamentary system, you know, it's it's uh, the whoever becomes prime minister is the person who can command a majority in parliament, and that will be the the next leader of the Conservative Party, as chosen by about two hundred thousand members over the next few weeks. And assuming that Parliament's not dissolved early, is there a when is the next general? Is there a general election scheduled already at this point? No, um, the maximum it can be is a five-year term. Um, I think the previous term was a, a November 2019 or December 2019. So um, you know, uh, do the math on that. I think that that means you, you've got a maximum of till 2024. Um, that means that whoever comes in has got not really that long to try to to try to turn the economy around. Um, I mean, the British economy is in a mess. Boris Johnson's uh, high tax um, policies and uh, radical environmental agenda of trying to introduce net net zero uh, uh, net zero uh, policies. These are basically mean that, you know, standards of the living standard of, of ordinary people in the UK is falling for the first time in a generation. Um, hmm. And whoever comes in has probably got about 24 months to turn that around before they face the voters. Um, you can see from America that actually, if you pursue green policies, it has enormous electoral consequences. Well, I, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for whoever becomes the next British Prime Minister. They're going to inherit um, some really um, extreme Nancy Pelosi-style environmental policies, and um, they're going to have to dismantle them very quickly. And I, I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that in time for the next election, but you know, they, they're going to have to try. As you mentioned, you were a member of Parliament, a member of the Conservative Party uh, in the UK for for twelve years. Um, is your sense of the rank and file, the sort of backbench members of the Conservative Party, um, is there is there a fair amount of ideological conservatism? Or I know you can't perfectly import it from one country to another, but there had to be a fair amount of support for the, what I would think of as sort of leftist green policies among the Conservatives for Johnson to be able to. To push them, or am I am I misreading that? I, I think I think the puzzling thing is why on earth Boris Johnson pursued these green progressive policies when there's almost no demand for them um, amongst his electoral coalition or indeed amongst the ordinary rank and file members of the party. Um, really interestingly, both candidates in this competition are really vying to claim that they are um, the, the the heir and successor of, of Margaret Thatcher. Um, so I think the ordinary members who will be deciding this competition are actually pretty solidly, pretty soundly conservative. They're very conservative in the tradition of Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. They believe in limited government, less regulation, lower taxes, and, and they don't really uh, buy into any of this green nonsense. So I, I think um, actually one of the consequences of this leadership contest is it's going to really sort of put on trial many of the, the, the 
environmentally radical policies that the Boris Johnson government um, flirted with. I, I, I think it could mean that actually conservative leaders in Britain go back to being proper conservatives. At least that's what I hope. Oh, that that would be that would be wonderful. Uh, and I'm glad to hear that you think that's uh, reflective of what most conservative party members want, that it's not uh, it's not that there's been such a drift uh, towards the left, that, that that's no longer uh, electorally feasible. We, we see this with the conservative movement on both sides of the Atlantic. We see when the leaders of the conservative movement in uh, London or in Washington lose touch with their base, they always drift to the left. You always need grassroots conservatism, um, the power of the, the primary, if you like, to bring the conservative leaders back to, to, to what they should be doing. Yeah, and I, I feel like I know this is. I feel like this is true in Washington. I, I wonder if it's true in London that when you get to the the real uh, the elected leaders, the sort of elite that are in Washington, their personal views, no matter what they say when they go back home, are actually reflect more of this sort of elite coalition uh, that, that's you know far more to the center or to the left. Than what a lot of the people who elected them there to do, and they, they sort of serve that coalition rather than the electoral coalition that put them there a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, they forget it, who sent them to, they forget who put them in power. Yeah, absolutely. Douglas, you have time for one more segment. I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the good work to, that the yeah. Mississippi Center for, uh, for Public Policy is doing. I'd love to. If the background noise is not too noisy, I'd love to stay. No, it's uh, it, it's perfect so long as our connection stays good. We'll uh, we'll keep talking with Douglas Carswell after the break. This is Lucian Smith in for Paul Gallo here on the Gallo Radio Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Good morning, everybody. This is Lucian Smith uh, in for Paul Gallo here on the Gallo Radio Show on Super Talk Mississippi, coming to you live from the Trustmark Bank Studio. Life's beautiful when your bank fits you to a T. Trustmark, people you trust, advice that works. To learn more, go to Trustmark.com, member FDIC. Uh, here with us uh, by video link is Douglas Carswell, the Mississippi Center for uh, Public Policy President. If if you tune into Gallo uh, in the 8 o'clock hour to catch a bit of British politics, I'm afraid uh, you're going to have to pick it up on the uh, uh, on the archive because we're going to move on from what, what's happening in Westminster. Uh, you know, Douglas, tell us a little bit about uh, the Mississippi Center for Public Policy and your experience since you've been uh, since you've been running it and what all y'all do. I've been here for about 18 months now. We are a free market think tank. We believe that uh, liberty and uh, freedom are the motor of human progress. They, they would allow um, people to prosper and that we need um, much more liberty and freedom here in Mississippi. One of the reasons why Mississippi is 50th out of 50 states is because Mississippi lacks freedom and liberty. There are too many permits, taxes are too high, there's too much regulation. Politicians basically have too much of a say in our lives, and we exist to try to change that. Um, we have been fighting a number of campaigns over the past 18 months. I think we've had two or three big wins. Um, the reduction in income tax, we think that was a, a really important step forward for our state. We are in favor of complete abolition. We want to be like Texas or Tennessee or Florida and not have a state income tax. But we think that what we've managed to achieve is a big step forward. Um, we also authored a bill on combating critical race theory. We think that's really important. We don't think public money should be used to teach people to despise their own country. 
and, and thirdly, um, a universal occupational licensing law. We were delighted to help spearhead that campaign and stand shoulder to shoulder with the governor when he signed that legislation into law. So we, 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 we believe in that kind of reform, but we think we need to go much further. So we've got a, a really quite bold and radical program. We, we, we keep asking the fundamental question, how come if we've got a super majority for conservatives in the state of Mississippi, are we not seeing more radical, bold reform to yeah. change our state for the better? And we think that actually we, we need to change that. So we, we are trying to make sure that we get um, real change um, and see Mississippi um, improve and elevate. As you uh, obviously we're, we're moving into the 23 legislative session or will be next year, uh, which is an election year, uh, never, never the best year to get big things done. But what are what are sort of the main policy focuses you've got uh, as we gear up for the the 23 session and looking ahead to, to 24? Well, I, I think the argument in favor of further tax cuts needs to be made. Um, we were told that we couldn't afford the complete abolition of the state income tax because there was concern that we might not have enough money. But it's, it's clear that the state surplus is larger than it's ever been. So I think we need to look seriously at tax cuts and tax reform in other areas. Um, I think education, it's difficult for Mississippi to really address many of the other social and economic problems we have without addressing the issue of, of education. Now, don't get me wrong, Mississippi's got some great um, public education uh, happening in the state, but it's also got some pretty mediocre public education happening in the state. We've got lots of school boards that are often run in the interests of the overpaid officials who are supposed to run them in the interests of, of children in, 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 in their areas. And I think we need to have a conversation about whether we need more charter schools in Mississippi, whether we should allow mums and dads in certain school board districts to control their child's tax dollars. They've managed to introduce systems that do this in West Virginia and Arizona. Why can't we do it in the Delta and Mississippi? So I think we need to focus on public education and uh, have a conversation about what more we can do there. How do you, when you talk about these ideas to uh, elected officials, whether it's at, at the very high levels or, um, or you know, or freshman members of the legislature, what, what sort of response do you tend to get uh, as you talk about these uh, these ideas? Well, often when it comes to education, you'll have in the legislature, you know, 20 or 30 people who are very committed to the idea of education reform and school choice and who completely get it. But you need to build a, a majority coalition. And I think there are people in the legislature who, who haven't yet been persuaded um, that we need to change and reform the education system. And I don't think that is, I don't look at this as the um, Mississippi Center for Public Policy and think that that's a failing on their part. I think it's a failing on the part of people like me. We've not managed yet to make the case for change. Um, we've not managed to build that parent-led coalition. So that, that is something I, I think we need to do. Um, Previously, you were talking about the difficulty of deregulation. Often you'll find that people will agree in principle to deregulating, but when you come up with a specific piece of uh, regulation that you want to get rid of, they'll then come along and, and say, actually, we can't do this because it'll have a particular impact on a particular person that they know. So I, I, I think we need, to, we need to be prepared to make a much broader argument for deregulation. We need to be able to win over people in the legislature who perhaps haven't always 
signed up to this agenda. We need we need to be much more effective, I think, at, at appealing to both sides of the political spectrum in Mississippi. In terms of how the the center spends its time and resources, how much of it is developing policy ideas? How much of it is advocacy? And I recognize there are limits. I mean, how much sort of electoral engagement can the can the center spend its time and money on? We keep out of electoral politics completely. We're a five hundred one c three organization, and we think that we can be more effective by advocating for policy, not engaging in politics. So we don't get involved in the process of electoral politics at all. Um, we probably spend about half our time developing policy. Um, we write papers every six to eight weeks. We will publish a policy paper. We produced one recently on education reform. We've got something called the Mississippi Fat Cat Report coming out in a, a few weeks time, which is a list of the 50 highest overpaid public officials in the state of Mississippi. Hmm. So we, we, we spend about half our time doing detailed policy research. We're currently doing a, a, a lot of research on, on energy and looking at why it is that Mississippians are having to pay ever more for, for energy. Um, and then we probably spend about half our effort um, in advocacy. We, we've built up this phenomenal capability of um, connecting directly with ordinary Mississippians. Every, every month, almost 90,000 individual Mississippians will read our, I, I don't just mean receive, they will, they will read our weekly newsletter. That is a phenomenal hmm. reach that we've built up and it allows us to engage very directly with ordinary Mississippians on many of these issues. And that's, I think it's phenomenal that you do that because to my mind, and you know this um, from your time in electoral politics, um, you've got a getting people engaged is the biggest way that you can move things forward on a on a policy front. And it's a lot easier to get people engaged on some issues than others. And, and like Russ and I were talking about before, you, you know, you, you some of the big things that are really going to move Mississippi forward are things like the regulatory reform, tax reform that don't necessarily generate just, you know, groundswells of support without an awful lot of effort by, by folks like you in the center to engage rank-and-file voters to make sure they're aware of and why they need to engage. You're, you're right, but I think it is possible actually to generate that groundswell. And, and, and let me explain. Um, at the moment in Mississippi, whenever we have a conversation about public services, it invariably ends up becoming a conversation about how much higher taxes should be because the argument is made that we need to tax people more to raise more revenue in order to address some of these problems. By publishing, for example, the Mississippi Fat Cat Report every August and listing the 50 highest paid officials and showing, for example, that um, there are officials presiding over failing school board districts that are earning not just more than the governor, but in some cases almost twice what the governor earns, <laughs> I think we can shift the conversation. We can show people that actually there is an urgency in these reforms. Um, the, the, the money is there. The money is just not being spent in the way that ordinary taxpayers would want it to be spent. So I, I think the challenge for organizations like ours is to actually make an argument and a case that mobilizes opinion and generates a demand for reform. Um, if these things were easy, they would have happened. Um, if um, limited government and low tax was obvious, everyone would do it. It's not obvious. That's why we exist. We need to make these arguments. Um, and I think we're having some success. Uh, I noticed particularly during the fight to um, lower and reduce the income tax, 
Um, we actually managed to generate, I think, a very significant amount of public pressure on our lawmakers, and I think that had an impact. In 2021, not even a majority of Republicans in the Senate favoured the measure. By the end of 2022, there was their idea to start with, so I think we can shift the dial. Well, y'all do fantastic work, Douglas. I, I'm, I'm glad you're... Glad the center exists. Glad you're leading it, and glad uh, glad you're uh, here in Mississippi, even if you're in Texas today. So thanks for taking the time to to talk to us and uh, discuss everything.